Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us here on the Next Level Brands Podcast. We're brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses and workshops for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you're selling on a regional basis at farmer's markets or just online, and you want to expand your retail distribution, you should look into the courses and webinars from Kitchen to Shelf. Want to learn more about distributors, co-packers? Kitchen to Shelf can help you learn what you need to know to grow. Details at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. Hi, this is Steve Clear, and I'm really excited today to bring back to the show Kara Golden. Kara is the founder and CEO of Hint Incorporated, the San Francisco-based healthy lifestyle company, best known for Hint Water, and more recently, Hint Sunscreen. Kara has been an operating entrepreneur, growing Hint to a multi-million dollar brand, but at the same time, focusing on creating a purpose-driven business focused on the end consumer. And while we could spend the rest of our program talking about Hint, it's really the next chapter in her life that got Kara returned to the show. She is now an author, and her book, Undaunted, was just released this week. Please welcome to the show, soon-to-be best-selling author and entrepreneur, Kara Golden. Hi! Great to be here again. How are you? I I am doing well, and thank you so much for for coming back. And um, so this was a very pleasant surprise. Uh, Did not know you had a book in the works. And, yeah, uh, and that's uh, um, is is so a, a book. First, we're gonna, we'll get into the why and and all of that stuff. But what was the driver behind the book? What was this thing that I'm I'm going to take on this uh, uh, around everything else? Yeah, you, you know, I think more than anything, it didn't start off the, like the rest of my my kind of journey. I didn't start off with this. I'm going to go and author a book and, you know, and see what, see what happens. I want to be an established author. What it, I kept hearing as I was out speaking from people and, you know, obviously thinking about, you know, different things that I would get asked, uh, things around my journey, like around my stories that I had. And, right. you know, I always say the, the beauty of stories is that they not only help you to to describe why you feel a certain way, but so often they help people to actually kind of get out of being stuck, right? And so I right. kept hearing this when I was out speaking and, you know, this has always kind of been my situation, whether it was, you know, running a company or, or leading teams or, you know, I would go back to these stories of like, I remember, and sometimes they would be stories that wouldn't even be directly, you know, affiliated, but, in some way, at, at least in my somehow affiliated. And so I, I really started journaling um, for the last okay. four years. I was, I was writing and, you know, too many flights along the way. And I just thought, I'm going to just start writing a lot of these things out. And then, you know, after a while, I, I finally said, gosh, you know, this is a pretty big journal. Maybe I should actually put it into something. And that's when I you know, knew a few friends who were authors and I started poking around to say, you know, do you think there's any legs here? Do you think, you know, maybe I can actually, actually put some kind of binder on this and get it out there so that I could help a lot more people kind of think about, you know, some of the things or, or really help solve many of their problems. So that was really the thinking behind it more than anything. When, when you go from it, like most entrepreneurs, I think we tend to do a lot of um, firefighting on a daily basis, right? There's new challenges, there's new things coming in. And I think of authorship as a much more cerebral, um, much more contemplative, maybe even organized fashion. Uh, How did you transition to, you know, from a process standpoint, transition from running Hint, running the Cara Foundation, whatever, to putting this journal together into something a book. Yeah, I, I actually, you know, it, there's a few different ways to write a book as I learned. Again, like I didn't like everything else in my journey and, you know, I didn't know how to run a beverage company either or, you know, you just sort of learn, right? Where And, you know, which is part of what I talk about, frankly, in the book. I mean, the, the book's called Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. I mean, I think that that 
you always kind of doubt at first, like, oh, is anyone going to buy this? Is, is, you know, do I really know how to write a book? But <laughs> as you start trying to get, you know, some sort of clarity about how you ultimately do things, you know, I, do, I did exactly what I did with everything else. I ask around and I start talking to people. Oh, you're an author? Like, okay, I got a question for you. And then, you know, and, and it would really start from that. And, and so that's what I found, you know, obviously you can go online and start to Google things, but that for me was even harder than actually going to the sources that I had that could kind of share different opinions about it. And I think that the key thing about writing a book that I learned is that there's some people that just do it how I did it. They just start writing and then it will be edited down. So, you know, right. Frankly, I probably have enough, enough stories to even have a second book. And certainly <laughs> after COVID, um, because everything was turned oh. in and at the end of January, I've got plenty of stories that, you know, I've got book three on the way at this point. But, um, but I, I feel like that that's one way to do it. And then another way to do it, which frankly was not necessarily, you know, the way I w want to do it and and i'm sure there are all that do this is that you figure out okay i'm gonna go write a topic on how i built hint right which which frankly were, there were plenty of of publishers out there that actually wanted me to write a very prescriptive like these are the five things that you right. need to do in order to launch a company and i have never believed that the most successful companies in any category are that prescriptive, right? Like, you know, that's asking Bill Gates, like, how did you come up with Microsoft, right? Like, I don't think he could really describe it. In fact, if you, you know, go back and you look at interviews from whether it's, you know, him or Steve Case or, you know, whoever it is that you want to sort of, you know, look at, um, you know, Sarah Blakely from Spanx. I mean, there's any category that you name there. They didn't start off by thinking in building their company that these are the five things that I need to do. Or, you know, they had, I'm sure, a series of doubts. They had plenty of people doubting that they'd be able to do it. Of course. Um, and so that was like, I didn't want to go that route. And I didn't. In, in putting it together, obviously work experience, did you gather stories a lot from people that you had worked with during the time and people that you knew either were facing some doubts or overcame doubts or whatever? Is that, is that kind of where you put together the cast of characters? No, I, and it's really, it's so undaunted, just, I mean, it's really my story. So it's, it's less about going and, and talking about other people that have been successful entrepreneurs. It's really my story along the way. So, you know, people would often, you know, they, they have this opinion of entrepreneurs that they're fearless risk takers or, you know, or that they don't have any doubts, right? And I would certainly get those kind of, you know, broad statements about myself, you know, depending on the situation. But as I mentioned, you know, when I would run into people or get introduced to people, there's fearless Kara coming around her. And I would always kind of be like, oh, not, not really. Like, it's, that's not really my situation. But so I decided in Undaunted to really kind of tackle start there. Again, I started with writing my stories, but really what it summed up to be was, in, in Undaunted, you know, I, I really talk about all the different doubts and fears that I had. And what I realize is along the way is that I definitely had those doubts and fears, but, and, and it was, you know, the story of Undaunted in, in the book, there certainly is a lot of that around building Hint, which is a, you know, significant and successful company today, but it's also about lots of things along the way. And so, you know, this, this book is part business, part autobiography, and frankly, like a lot self-development as well. And it's not, right. you know, geared just towards female entrepreneurs either. Certain, I mean, female entrepreneurs will love this book, but there's plenty of male, not, all, not just entrepreneurs that have read this book. I mean, John Legend, um, Jamie Dimon have all yep. read this book and have said, 
wow. I mean, this is like, this is really, really interesting what you talk about. And, and, you know, and, and again, I, I honestly, I think it's easy to think that someone who has achieved big things in business or life must be, you know, super confident and that like what separates them from the rest of us is this fearlessness. But, you know, I don't know, as I mentioned, I've met so many successful people along the way, not just entrepreneurs, but also sports and politics and who've struggled with, you know, lots of fears and doubts. And it's really how, what do they do with those? How do you keep moving forward is the key. And, and over the, over the, the years, you know, we've been to the trade shows and stuff together. I certainly would not have, uh, you know, talked to you at any time and thought, oh, there's, there's doubt or doubting going on here. Um, can you pull something from, from the book and talk a little bit about an example of overcoming that? Yeah. You know, I, I, one of the earliest moments, at, at least at hint was just when I was for creating the first recipes for, you know, our unsweetened hint flavored water. And, and that was just over 15 years ago. And I didn't know anything about the beverage industry and, and wasn't, sure I could actually build a business. I had certainly heard of Coca-Cola and Pepsi and I don't know, they seem big and scary and together. And, and, um, and, you know, I think that, that for me, I, I kind of tackled it in the same way that I do a lot of things, which is I, you know, figured out who knew, who knew somebody at, you know, Coca-Cola, and maybe they would actually be able to give me some advice. And people are like, I would never call like somebody at Coca-Cola. And I'm like, okay, well, anyway, I did, right? Like, I'm crazy like that. I just start, you know, there's a lot of no's in between or like, oh, I have a friend there, but I'm not going to introduce him to you or whatever. Like, I get all of those kind of things. But but I finally got to somebody uh, at Coca-Cola and I shared my excitement about figuring out how to you know, make this water and, you know, frankly, water that tasted better without adding sugar or sweeteners in it. And, you know, I had a bunch of questions about bottling and, you know, just who would distribute the drinks along the way. And I mean, I always have been the person to ask the questions that maybe nobody asks or sort of chuckles. Like, I can't believe you asked a person at Coca-Cola how to distribute a product. Like I was like, why not? Like, I mean, what, you know, what's the worst they could do is just not answer you or. You know, like, it's a black, it's a black box. Right. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so, and, and so, you know, it's a funny story actually. I mean, somewhat scary story, but instead of answering, you know, my questions, I mean, this guy, after listening for a while, he, you know, sort of listened to me and go on and on. And then he said, listen, sweetie, Americans love sweet. No one's going to drink this product. And I was like, whoa, like, did he just call me sweetie? I, I was like, still stuck. Like, I was like, wait, what was the question that I, that I asked him? I can't even remember like exactly what I asked him. And then after a few minutes, I tuned in, you know, to listening to him and, and, you know, really realized that I wasn't the only one that had doubts about, you know, the potential for the market for this product. I mean, here, this person at this very large company and, you know, this obviously, you know, industry Titan is like telling me that this product is going to go nowhere. And, and so, you know, basically as I went on and, or basically allowed him to go on, I, I recognized that really between the doubters and my own doubts, I could, you know, easily have just like given up and moved on that day and, and just forgotten about it. But I knew deep inside what I was talking about was something that I had created in my kitchen and was helping me to get healthier and eliminate, you know, my, my desire, my craving, my addiction to sweet. And, you know, I had been addicted as, as, just some background for those of you who aren't familiar with Hint, I had really been addicted to diet soda for many, many years. And, you know, I didn't realize this actually until I was pretty far into my book, but I was a, you know, kind of a early adapter to, to diet Coke. Like there was not a whole lot of testing that had been done on diet Coke um, prior to 
you know, little Kara Keenan with my maiden name, you know, getting my hands on one. And, um, and that turned into a 10 to 12, you know, can addiction per day. Like it didn't start out that way, but it was something that I was like clearly drinking along the way. And, and I think that again, you know, the, the story of listening to uh, this gentleman at, at Coca-Cola really doubting me, I thought, you know, he's got a different agenda, right? Like he's actually, he, he's upset with the fact that I've actually given up Diet Coke, right? And, and I'm actually talking to him about health. And the more he went on and on, and again, he was a very nice person. And sometimes what I've realized is people can have, can be very nice. They can just have different needs different agendas right Right, and and that was clearly what this conversation was about so that was really the first moment when you know even though i had doubts and he clearly was doubting me too i knew that i had a decision to make and only i could make that decision which was either i move forward with this idea or i don't move forward with this idea and you know part of what i share with entrepreneurs all the time is you know this story as well that, you know, just because he told me that my idea was bad, like what gives him the liberty and decision-making power to actually tell me not to do it? Nothing. And he would say the same thing, right? It was like, at this point, it was my decision to go and do it. He thought it was stupid, but that's fine, right? Like that's, you know. You yes. Know, oh, yes. Yeah. And so, and I think it's kind of the story, like I said, it's not just about food and beverage. Like I think it's a story for almost any category. I mean, you're lucky enough to actually maybe gain some wisdom in the room if you are able to kind of get a meeting with, with somebody. Um, Mine was on the telephone by the way, but, but it's, um, but you know, it's really what you do with that information. And he and I sat there and had a really nice conversation for the next hour. And finally I realized that I was really gaining insight into how he had been like not only been taught, but how he was teaching his teams to kind of think about unsweetened flavored water, that it was like, you know, stupid idea, woman from Marin County starting this company, like, (laughs) where is it going to go? It's like, it's so dumb. Like everybody wants sweeteners. And again, maybe they weren't seeing the same health issues that I was seeing, but that wasn't my purpose for starting this company wasn't to sort of find an alternative, you know, to diet soda that was also sweetening. I had seen just by giving up diet soda and drinking plain water that, you know, I had lost over 20 pounds in two and a half weeks and which is crazy, right? Like just by giving up the diet sweeteners. And so if you, um, so if you're going out of category for kind of different reasons than somebody that, you know, is in your category, in my case, in the beverage industry, it's like, what gives them permission to actually tell you that your idea is stupid? I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it, it's not, necessar- not necessarily, you know, he doesn't win in this situation. The, the, these, of course, Kara, are the same people who did the new Coke challenge and forgot that in any comparison thing, you're supposed to have a control. Right? Yeah. Right. Of course. You just you just don't go in and go A B because and, and and secondly, if you're trying to compare something, don't let anybody know what what the original is because they'll always go to say the original because they don't want to look silly. Uh, you know, a million people, you know, drink this a day. Obviously it must be the the right thing. Um, totally. So when you when you started out with, with that and, and and obviously you got some information or whatever what was kind of the next sort of steps were you and when you came away from that you had more information but was there doubt at that point and and how did you overcome that how 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 was that you know how'd you get over that i think at that point you know i went for sort of my my next group of um of educators which was really going into stores and trying to understand if i truly had a you know if this really was a category that wasn't out there and if I really did feel like this was a product that could, that really filled a need. And so at that point, uh, you know, we were in the 
Bay Area only. We were in Marin County where we live, but also in San Francisco in in some stores. And my my husband is actually from the East Coast, and he's always you know he's thinks New York is best, and he's a New Yorker, <laughs> right? And so he's always felt, um, and maybe it's lightened up slightly over the over the last few years, but he's always felt that New York is like people in California are different, right? Like they think differently, like, and, sure. and so, um, so he basically had kind of just thrown out there that maybe if you really want this to be a big brand and a product that it has universal appeal, maybe you should actually be looking on the East Coast as well to figure out whether or not this consumer is different. And I think over the years, the consumer on the East Coast has gotten and the consumer on the West Coast have become much more similar. But I'll, I'll tell you, when we first launched um, Hint, one of our first flavors was cucumber. And we couldn't keep cucumber water in stock on the West Coast. On the East Coast, like I felt like they were going to throw us out of stores if we tried to sell <laughs> cucumber water. Like our distributor was like, get that out of here now. Like we don't want... We don't want cucumber water. And, and, you know, and over time, I think, you know, it's sort of like what's gone on in Europe, right? Like when 15 right. years ago, there were no Starbucks stores in Paris, right? Nope. And now yep. there's, right, it's a, it's a whole different thing. So I think the world has changed in many ways. Um, but I feel like that was something that I definitely saw back then. And really, you know, what, what we decided to do, you know, and in, in going into these markets. And, you know, I think like the other piece I'll say too, is that people told us like, once you get to a certain size that you really can't go higher than, um, or you really can't build your, um, your distribution any more than, than, I don't know, maybe 10 million in sales um, before you have to kind of do some sort of bigger deal with, with a, you know, oh, sure. One large of the two. soda companies. Right. right? Yeah. And, um, and so today, I mean, we're the largest independent beverage company in the country that doesn't have a relationship with Coke, Pepsi or Dr. Pepper Snapple. And, you know, we're way bigger than 10 million and, you know, 20 times that. And so it's, it definitely, um, you know, we've done it differently and nobody, would have been able to, nobody would have been able to, you know, have a book or tell us exactly how to do that because nobody had done it before. But again, we, we just sort of tackled it in a different way. Like, let's just keep trying, which is, you know, frankly, really the message in my book as well, that it's like, if you, sometimes if you actually, somebody tells you and, and, you believe it if they have enough credentials, right? And they tell you, you can't go, you know, across the street, right? Because like, that's just not what you're supposed to be doing. Or you can't build a company because you don't have experience. You, I remember early on, we got a meeting with um, this guy who's in my mind, legendary for vitamin water, Mike Rapoli. And he was like the, the vitamin water head of sales for years and really like, made that brand take off in, in many, yep. many directions. And I remember sitting in his office and when we first started and he told me, if you're serious about building this brand, you have to live in New York City. And I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta live in New York City. Why do I have to live in New York City? And he was like, because, you, because no brand has ever been built outside, no beverage brand has ever been built outside of New York City. And I said, okay, so I'm on the plane. I come back to San Francisco where I live and I'm like, all right, I'm packing up. I really want to make this work. We've got a little bit of traction on both coasts. And uh, I remembered that a, a friend of mine had introduced me to a friend of hers who, you know, I had a couple phone calls with who had started this brand called Oregon Shy. And like sure. she's based in Oregon. And, <laughs> and so I called her on the phone and I said, so I, I got a question for you. I met with this guy, Mike Rapoli, and he told me that a beverage company cannot be built outside of New York. But did you live in New York? Or, and she said, nope, I never lived in New York. And I said, wait, where do you live now? 
because your brand is called Oregon Chai, but you live in Oregon? I do. And I'm like, okay, so wait, you built this over $100 million brand and, and you're living in Oregon? She said, I did. I was like, okay. So he was wrong. Like, but it was really convincing, right? And, and so, but again, people will tell you, share opinions. And, you know, I'm sure you have many stories like this where, you know, people do that. Like they'll throw out these really big statements. I mean, Mike is a great guy and he probably didn't even realize that I was listening so intently, you know, to, and about to make major life decisions around, you know, pulling four kids out of school in order to like go to New York and like uh, all of those kind of things. So again, lots of, lots of wisdom along the way that, you know, I basically debunk. Yeah. The, the, the first thing, first thing I try to do when I'm in a position where someone is seeking counsel is to say, okay, in my experience or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it, this I was talking with someone who was going to basically was going to launch a brand and build it in e-commerce. And there were a couple of us who were involved in the industry and we were talking to this person and the, the guy just says flat out, there's never been a brand built on e-commerce. You know, he said, you can't build a brand strictly through Amazon. And I went, Amazon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's totally. like, what? I said, Amazon. It's the largest brand in the world. And 100%. it's built entirely through, right? It's through, through digital means. So, you know, I, I, I don't know offhand of a, a, a huge, I mean, there's been several crossovers from e-commerce to conventional grocery, but there will be a big, big CPG firm that will come out of e-commerce alone. And everybody in conventional will take the product because of its performance on e-commerce and, and it will happen. It maybe hasn't happened yet, probably accelerated because of the pandemic. But yeah, sometimes that, that sort of, not necessarily conventional wisdom, but that adamant, you know, you can't do this. Yeah. Similar. Now, definitely. Does, does that, when he says that, does that what in fact drives you to do it? Because somebody says it can't be done? You know, I think my curiosity kicks into gear. And I, and I think a lot of great entrepreneurs um, are curious. I think it's a trait that really is, is consistent, right? It's, it's, and it, frankly, I think it's part of the reason why Hint was able to do what we did because I walked into an industry that I hadn't had any experience in. And I certainly heard tons of no's along the way and called up people who, you know, they didn't, flatly say goodbye but you know they, they a lot of people were like she doesn't have any idea what she's talking about they would quickly size up whether or not you know i had beverage industry experience and here i am this very nice person calling on the phone saying hey you know i'm starting a beverage company and they're like oh where were you at before and then the minute that they hear that you've never worked in you know beverage and you haven't worked in food they're kind of like okay well this is a big waste of my time this is some crazy lady from san francisco that's just starting a you know company and she just wants to waste my time and so there were plenty of those people um that were asking that along the way but yeah i mean i don't know i i feel like because i would I found some of those people along the way though. And again, the majority weren't this way, but there were some people, um, you know, I remember when I was trying to figure out how do we get a bigger shelf life in our, in our product. And right. we were already in Whole Foods and, you know, Whole Foods was about to kick us out because they were, they were like, you need to have a longer shelf life in order for us to actually, you know, keep you on the shelf. You're doing fine, but you right. know, you need to get there. And, and finally, I remember walking down the juice aisle and seeing a lot of these apple juices that were in these glass containers and in the Bay Area. Um, there was one in particular that I was like looking at the, um, where it was made and it was made in Watsonville, California. And I thought, I think Watsonville's kind of around here. Again, I had lived on the East Coast for a while. Um, so I wasn't really familiar with a lot of these little towns, but I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I've like been driving down Highway 1 and maybe seen- I've seen this. The way. Yeah. And so I you know, look up, I go on my Google and look up and see that, you know, sure enough, it's this, this apple grower and he's like bottling his own juices and he's got a bigger shelf life than a lot of these, you know, products that are in sort of the- my 
category on the shelf. And so we reach out and call this guy on the phone and, you know, there was a pretty good shot that he was going to hang up on me, but for some reason he didn't. And, um, you know, I was telling him about my problem. And again, he didn't know me from Adam. I, I didn't have any mutual friends or anything like that. And he was just a super nice guy. And, um, you know, he said, Hey, if you want to come down and, you know, play around with some different shelf life stuff. I think it's really interesting what you're talking about. I'd never really thought about it. And you think about that, like our, the, the commonality was, was really this curiosity, right? right? Yeah, and yeah. that we, he just was like, and again, I was kind, I was nice. All, you know, I was like thoughtful. I didn't want to waste his time. Um, you know, but he was, he was like, if you want to come down here. And of course I told my husband who's, had not kind of officially joined us yet. He had been an intellectual property lawyer in Silicon Valley. I'm like, oh, I'm going down to see this guy in Watsonville and, you know, going down to his plant. And she, he was like, uh, okay, like, can I come too? And I, I mean, I, I'd be really interested. In, and so we did. And so we went down and, you know, still to this, still to this day, I mean, the guy's name is Tom Ryder. I mean, still to this day, he's like somebody whenever things are hard. And we have to kind of think about things. I mean, we'll call Tom on the phone and, and say like, hey, can we come down there? Can we talk to you? And, and um, you know, he's just, he's just a good guy. And you find those good people, right, along the right. way. And yeah. that actually are curious and they're not, you know, and, and actually I, would, I think that there's a lot of people that ultimately don't want to deal with people that have a lot of industry experience because they've got all the answers, right? And they are not respectful of time or... So anyway, I think that that's, that's another piece that I, you know, talk about a lot and definitely talk about in the book too, that, you know, if you can actually come to, first of all, things that are not obvious um, kind of education sources, Right. right. Yeah. So we were not in the juice industry. We were in the water industry. So there right. were a lot of people who were, would say and still would say to this day, juice and water are very different. But I felt like if I could actually get educated in how juice does it. Sure. Or, you know, and I've said this to people in, you know, the alcohol industry. I'm, I, you know, again, like I'm like, don't just sit there and look at your competitors or you know, people that can help you kind of figure out problems in one industry, because maybe what you're actually trying to do has been solved in the yogurt industry or like very, very different, maybe even, you know, different types of, of problems, but maybe it just helps you think. And, and that to me is like probably one of the most rewarding things. Like I, I fundamentally don't believe that people really value when you solve problems for people. I think they value when you, they can actually help one think. I mean, that's a bigger sort of statement, but I, I think people like solving their own problems. I think they need help thinking sometimes. And that's why people ask for help. I, definitely, yeah. It's someone to just, and, 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 and as a consultant, I, I have to walk that fine line all the time. Totally. You know, yeah. because I, I want the person to, sometimes it's directional. And a lot of what in the last few years, especially working with smaller founders and smaller companies, is I find myself much, much less of a quote unquote consultant where we're looking at the numbers and we're doing some directional change and being much more of a founder coach mm -hmm. to help the founder take the experience, right? But have the founder find those answers or, you know, know where to look for those answers to seek them out. And it's, it's a fine line. And I never would have said, anybody said, oh, you're going to be a coach someday. No, I'm not a coach. Are you kidding? I'm, I'm a consultant. I come in and I tell you, you got to drop the price 10%. This is what we're going to get back in return, blah, 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 blah. No, it's really the thing of saying, you know, how important is the pricing at the moment? How thin are your margins? Could you look at possibly getting below five dollars you know those kind of things in a much more exploratory much more of an advising manner rather than a mckinsey oh yeah cut your budget a million and put a million in the bank you know but yeah and you're educating works. people right you're you're right. not i mean that's that's what you're doing and it's it's something that you know i'm part of this organization ypo and they really push on that in these ypo meetings 
as well. And I, you know, I'm really grateful for sort of being trained in that way too. And you can actually, I can actually see this now in people when I talk to them, um, you know, leaders that have actually been trained in the style because right. they won't actually tell you what to do. And I used to think, I just want somebody to just tell me how to like run this product and get a shelf life. Like that's fine. But if somebody does that for you all the time, like, don't you feel kind of like, I can't solve any problems, right? It's not that it's not very fulfilling, right? If you're right. if if every time you have a math problem in school, and you know, somebody gives you the, like, the answer, right, right. then you yep. suddenly feel like you can't actually do that very well. And so I don't think long term, it's something that is that is ultimately what people want. And, and anyway, it's a longer philosophy, but it's something that I think is really an important one when you're looking at kind of leadership. And, and unfortunately, you know, I mean, this is sort of a longer issue and, and one that I think about a lot with founders is that unfortunately, sometimes, and, you know, if you've sort of pulled other levers, including getting money from the wrong people, and oh, yes. you know, you're in a race to sort of do something and, and that you don't actually have the time to be educated and have the time to kind of think about these different things, which, you know, frankly, we took our time, we didn't, we picked the right, you know, money to sort of help fund this company. So, you know, we're a 15 year old startup and we've been growing right. every single year, but I always tell, you know, founders that it's like, you know, it depends. You can go get this thing done in a couple of years probably, but you know, you're, are you going to like truly build a brand? Are you really going to, you know, have a sticky customer base that is going to, you know, continue to come back and, right. and, you know, in all, all of these different things. And it's one way to do things. It's, it's um, just as competitive, if not more, everybody wants to make a quick buck. Right. right. But I think it's, it's um, definitely something that, you know, I've thought a lot about and, and, um, and written a lot about actually. And the, and the difference between having a product and having a brand is huge. And, you know, obviously brand building sometimes is different than building up a, a line of products. Because yeah. different different considerations. I want to make sure. So Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters has just come out. Um, and you can or find- It's coming more. out October 20th, but it's, it's October like- October 20th. Yeah, yeah, but it's in pre-sale right now. And so it'd be really awesome if you'd all just go and buy it right now on Amazon or on, on undauntedthebook.com is, um, is where you can get it as well. And also available at www.drinkhint.com backslash undaunted. Yeah. And if you go right now, my, my great team is offering this deal um, that you get a free case of Hint with your pre-order of your book. So, I mean, it's a no-brainer. That's, that's, that's definitely going to work. So, Carol, Undaunted, it sounds like the name of a British battleship. Why, <laughs> why did you choose Undaunted? Well, uh, that's a good question. We, uh, you know, Going back again to this this idea of fearlessness and and doubters and doubts and you know we were I, I felt like that's really what the that that is what we're talking about here. It's talking about being undaunted and acting a certain way. And um, so you know I I think about it a lot from a leadership perspective because I think you know especially we're recording this during a time at a really challenging time for many, many leaders and sort yes. of how you ultimately act. And, and I think a lot of, you know, very scared leaders, right? Thinking, you know, especially if you've got numbers that you're supposed to be meeting and for whatever reason, you've got challenges to sort of keeping your business afloat. Maybe, you know, you've got factories and, in Asia that closed down and they haven't caught back up again, whatever the issues are, I think that, you know, to me, undaunted leadership is really um, what we're, you know, what we're in right now. And it's kind of the difference between people who are moving forward and people who are frozen and can't ultimately move forward. And I think that, you know, it's also, as I look at, 
you know, lots of people out of jobs today and have been furloughed or laid off. It's like really having a good understanding of how companies dealt with, you know, the COVID time is, is super important. And also I say to, you know, I've talked to many entrepreneurs who have been in really tough situations over the last few months. And I think that if there are issues that in, in your or if there's situations in your company that you think have been really challenging, for example, you're making a component of your product in Asia and, you know, you never really thought about the idea that, you know, that could disrupt your supply chain because you couldn't ultimately get the product or get that component, complete your product. And that's what would screw up your sales. Then, you know, the most obvious advice is try and figure out if you can get it more local, right? And try and, and instead of sitting here thinking, you know, wow, I'm, I'm really screwed. Like now nothing's going to happen. And that factory is this, 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 you know, now that things have, you know, hopefully calmed down, even if it's only for a few weeks or whatever, why not spend the time to ultimately figure this out? Or what if, for example, you know, you saw a significant, you know, issue with retail stores shutting down. Like, right. and if you don't have a direct-to-consumer play that you ultimately own, and you don't have a relationship where you can actually talk to your customer to tell your customer that we have plenty in the warehouse, and, you know... It's going to be okay. And it's going to be okay, and right. which is what we did. I mean, we saw the weekend of March 14th, um, we saw a significant challenge where people were hoarding products in grocery stores and are, you know, and I kept kind of joking around about it in early March saying, why are people buying so much toilet paper and bleach? And then I learned it's not just that it's also plain water and then they can't find plain water and then they're buying hint water. And, you know, and so I still didn't really think it was a reality until that weekend of March 14th. And I saw so many shelves in, in stores that really had never had an issue, an out-of-stock issue. And now we were seeing this out-of-stock issue um, crop up. And, you know, these were stores that had auto replenishment coming off of the cash register. It was like, you know, right. it was a big deal. Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, I had a choice at that point. I could either like say, oh, those, you know, that that bad store and that stupid, you know, cash registered isn't actually relaying that they're out of stock on my product and I'm going to go home now. Like, or <laughs> I could do what I did, which was we phoned and emailed all of our stores and said, listen, we don't know what's going on, but may we send in a truckload of product into every one of your stores. And 50% of our stores said, please, because we were solving a problem, sure. right? And that, and, and that is just one example of undaunted leadership. And then the second one was that we had this database of over a million consumers who had bought from us online, that we owned that database. And so we went out to consumers and from me, and I said, it's scary, right? I like, it's scary. Right. Like, I don't right. know... If I, I don't know if I'm still going to go into grocery stores every day. And, and, and I noticed that the grocery stores, when you go in there, it's like you've got people fighting for Hint Water. And then I go in the back room and there's none there. And number one, please don't hoard. You know, be, right, be right. nice, right? Number two, if you want Hint really badly, go to drinkhint.com and order. And we had a crazy response. It was like 60% of our database like said, yes, I want to do it right now. Because I was so, you know, it was, it was communicating. It was authentically real. Like the fact, like I've told this story a million times now since March, that the fact that, consu- that these companies are so, like you think about it, you're so reliant on someone else who may have issues around registered data, not communicating with reorders and, you know, and, or you can actually like communicate directly with your consumer and say, you know, still go to your local Molly Stones or whatever, do what you're going to do. 
and but you can also order here and and so that is really you know how we talk about our brand we're an omni-channel brand that like i the consumer owns how they shop some are going to go to the stores some are going to shop online some are going to shop on our site drinkkit.com some are going to go to amazon and i believe like that is the that's the success of brands going forward it's like if you sit there and try and block consumers then you're going to lose in the end right and all of this change in consumer behavior that's happened since february um a lot of it is going to stay because it's mm -hmm. been long enough that you develop that you develop a habit um, and secondly, if I'm satisfied with the service, whatever, um, if I'm, if I'm doing, you know, um, uh, basically click and pick up, uh, why am I going to go back to doing something else? I don't really have to walk. If, if you're not really concerned about, you know, picking out your, your zucchini that you got to have. Totally. If you're, if you're fine with whatever they're going to give you, why not? You know, you're going to continue that practice. So as a brand, you kind of have to be all over the place in order to be, you know, in front of, in front of those consumers. Because they, in the end, you know, make the choice. Um, I think it was interesting, though, that one of the things the pandemic showed is we have spent years and years and years in consumer packaged goods driving efficiencies in terms of production and distribution. Mm -hmm. And when people say, well, well, our friends over in Oakland, right? Why isn't Clorox making more of those wipes? And I say, well, you don't understand. The factory before the pandemic was running at complete efficiency. It mm -hmm. was making as many of those things as it possibly could in the shifts that were there. They can't just turn around tomorrow and all of a sudden, because you decide to buy five cases and store them in your barn, that just doesn't happen that way. That's not how big scale production works. And yeah. people were like, well, I, I, why don't they just make more toilet paper? Well, because there isn't yeah. room to store it and that's not how the factory is set up. It just Yeah, well, and there. also were there components that were coming from Asia? as well right, like it right, might be exactly. a tiny component yep. but it's all of a sudden it throws a monkey wrench into their yep. in, into their you know whole distribution and supply chain processes and i mean that's another thing that we you know and this was really um on our operations side which i was so proud of our team i mean over the years we've really been look we we create a product that doesn't have preservatives in it and right. so um, you know, when you have a product that doesn't have preservatives in it, you, you don't, there's nothing that kills bacteria in the product. Like we have right. heat that, you know, does it, but that's why we, you know, have always looked to sort of remove any possible impurities. And every time somebody has been in a room, you've got the hazmat suit and, you know, you can imagine, and it's yep. like a real factory, right? But over the years, our operations team has really been push, pushing to not have any people in the room when we ultimately fill. And so by the time March rolled around this year, we were, you know, getting ready for 2020 to be a giant year with Walmart came on and Aldi and Sam's Club and BJ's. And I mean, we had increased exposure. And wow. Target. Yeah. I mean, it was a big year. And then all of a sudden, you know, we, we have this COVID thing hit. And we're like, ah, you know, out of stock on product, but, and pushing people online, we're, you know, after a month of sort of doing business that way, we get a phone call from Costco and they're like, hey, do you do everything in the U.S.? And, and we're like, uh, yeah, we do everything in the U.S. Why? And they said, well, we just want to know if we could bring you in um, and set up a national deal with you throughout the U.S. because we're having problems with some of our... Um, <laughs> beverages that we get have like, you know, cans, pretty much all cans are actually made in Asia. Right. And so they're not actually get, getting components over, but they're like, wow, this is incredible. Like you don't have, you know, you don't have any people in the room when you're actually like filling your product. And I said, no, it's all automated. Right. right. And, and so they're like, God, you guys like, I mean, the combination of you really manufacturing as locally as possible in your plants and not relying on any components outside the US, but then also like not having any people. And I mean, this is, this is a longer story, but just to educate, you know, some people and who might be listening, I mean, the, the beverage industry is not all the same either, which is 
something that I had to learn. We use real fruit in our product. So our product is actually regulated by the FDA versus like a traditional bottled water company is regulated by states. Right. And so when the FDA was running around, sniffing around, searching for the cause of COVID, you know, they were going into not just, you know, Tyson's chicken and, you know, some of the food manufacturing plants, but they were also coming in because we're a food product. And so they were sniffing right. around when yeah. they saw that we didn't have any people in the room. They were like, okay, see ya. You know, it was just like a hearty handshake and, and they were out, not really. It was like a knuckles or, or, you know, hand slap or something. But, but um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing too, that, that I think COVID really taught us as well is like, it's okay to be a little paranoid, right? Along yep. and sort of think about, you know, the worst case scenario. N did we know that there was a pandemic coming? Of course not, right? I, it's, you know, we read about it and saw the movies and everything else, but nobody really thought it, that it was going to, at least that I know that this was yeah. going to be what it was going to be. But, yeah. you know, we were so well prepared from a supply chain standpoint. And now, you know, if I were running a company and had the hiccups that so many people did, I'd be sitting here trying to figure out like how to do things as, <laughs> avoid as this. possible, right? Yep. As speaking of challenges, Kara, so how for Undaunted, how do you do a book tour during a pandemic? That's a very good question. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think much of it will be virtual. Um, most of it will be. I, I actually did a talk yesterday down in Los Angeles that I flew down for, um, where it was interesting. They, they only have the speakers at the conference and it okay. was, um, wow. yeah, it was really, really interesting. And part of the reason, I mean, it was super high production and you could actually, what was so crazy, I've never been at a production quite like this where there was an audience over 500 people sitting in the audience and you could hear the rustling like going on in the seats, kind of like if you're a speaker sure. on stage, you can sure. see people. And so it takes a tiny bit of getting used to, but I was, you know, sharing with my, with my family that it was, um, I don't know, like it, it, it kind of was, it wasn't like speaking to a, a silent screen, like a silent <laughs> audience. Right. Which yeah. is, you know, I, it was, you could, it was almost like, how we're doing it right where you sort of right. hear if somebody's moving around a little bit or whatever and um anyway so that that will probably be the case a bit um for the book tour lots of zoom stuff going on and then you know as somebody reminded me who's an a multi or a three-time author that you know the difference that you have to get used to as an author is that there's not a launch date and then it goes away. It's like, you know, right. most successful books go on for a long time, right? It's not a consumable, right. Yeah. Right. And there's not a shelf life issue, you know, right. like it's right. like, especially if you're talking about something that is, you know, continues to grow and, and, you know, can, so, you know, I think there will be a time. Um, I mean, I certainly don't want to be traveling all over, even if, if uh, I've had plenty of people, um, you know, sure. friends asked me to come do small parties that of course will be under the number and whatever. But, you know, I, I don't want to bring that back into my, my home, my family either. No, where, no. Like I'm, you know, so it, it, it will be what it is. Um, but I'm also, you know, doing some other pretty big talks and Cheryl Sandberg is interviewing me on October 20th for the launch. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Which will be great. And um, lots of other amazing people outside of you have, you know, taken me under their wing and said, Hey, let's go do this. So I think it's, it's all going to work out. Well, I, yeah, I was so excited to hear when, uh, when I first got notice from you about, you know, a book and I said, this is, this is going to be uh, this is going to be good. It's going to be a, a lot of fun. Um, you know, last time you were on the show, Kara, we talked at, about the bigger challenges and stuff you had in growing hint. Um, let me turn that around and ask you about what was the biggest challenge in actually completing a book and how did you overcome it? You know, I, again, I think <clears throat> my philosophy has always been that <clears throat> you, um, sorry about that, needed some water sorry. there. Um, my philosophy has always been that 
I do get a little afraid, especially when I want something, right? And so, and I have high, I, have, I would say that my fault that is consistent throughout my entire life and no matter what I work on is that I have high expectations, including for myself, right? And right. so I wasn't going to produce a book. I mean, I was writing for four years. People have said to me like, oh, like how long have you been writing? Like they're like, oh, most people, doesn't it take like a year to write? I'm like, <laughs> that's like asking how long do people run companies? I mean, it's just, it's all over the map and you can right. find five people who will say that it's one way. So again, having those doubters say to me, like, you know, she's been writing for four years. She has no idea what she's doing. I mean, like I just, at some point, I, I think I had enough doubters around me that then I just decided I'm just going to go do Like, I'm fine. If, if I, if I put it into terms that I really understand, which is I've collected a lot of data. I need to get out of the gate and I need to just get it out there and see what happens. And so I, I think anytime you set your mind to doing something for me, it was, um, it was just over a year ago, year ago past uh, a year ago, this last May that I decided I was going to go shop it to publishers and my publisher's great Harper leadership um, but I knew nothing about the publishing industry. I'd sort of, I mean, you know, I knew that there were like, you know, these big publishers. I didn't know about consolidation. I didn't know, you know, what I knew you could buy it on Amazon. Like I, I just really sure. knew nothing about it. And that's the thing that, you know, I, I refuse to believe that most things in this world are that hard right? If you have the right people on them and the people that are curious and the people that, you know, are committed to ultimately like figuring something out. And so right. I remind myself of that statement, I think a lot, you know, even parenting, right? Like, I think it's, sure. it, it's kind of the same thing. It's, it, and there, there'll be a lot of people to tell you, you know, that, you're not supposed to be doing this or you're not supposed to be playing this sport or you're not supposed to be able to write, run a beverage company or whatever it is. And so that for me was really, you know, the, the key thing. Um, I also found an amazing editor early that was going to help me to um, yeah. you know, really hone it down. And, and uh, him combined uh, with my husband, they sort of like, you know, just cause I was, super busy with the company and and i wanted another opinion on some things too just to get another set of eyes on it my husband so i sort of had two editors on on the book and then sadly um john butnam who was my editor passed away on march 16th Oh dear. and so yeah so it was like it was crazy i mean in the midst of i mean Sure. A cha another chapter in the book in the midst of what was going on on March 16th in this, in this country, right? Like it was, right. yeah. it was really trying to figure out, you know, do we continue to um, have our, our team go into stores? Do we, we had closed down our New York office. We, you know, we're, we're seeing that we had massive out of stock issues. We had just sent out a letter to our consumers saying, you know, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. And then I get this phone call um, from my agent that my um, editor, who I became very close with, um, had of a course. massive heart attack. And so, and not the guy that you would think would have a heart attack either. You know, he was in his 60s, right. very healthy, very, you know, very, very sad. So I was, I was really sad. Thankfully, um, when we turned in the book, at the end of January, we had gotten the book into a really, really good place. And so it was not a lot of work, well you know, to, to sort of get it ready. Um, I was, you know, I was going to wrap this up. Actually, um, I, I changed my mind how I wanted to do it. I was originally going to ask you about sort of the what's next, the, the, um, <laughs> the, when, the when do you start the campaign for governor of California? Because successful oh entrepreneur, author, it just seems to me that's the next most logical step. But, um, and you can comment on it if, if you want, but the question I really wanted to ask was in the building of the company and what you've done with it and your team, you've obviously had many opportunities, whether it was from Pepsi or Dr. Pepper or whatever to sell Hint. Why haven't you? So 
again, I think for us, it's really, first of all, I'm still having fun, right? Building yeah. it and I'm still yep. getting traction. And, you know, I think I, I often get asked the question, you know, what keeps you going? And I think, you know, it's really easy for me to answer that. It's consumers. I get e emails from consumers that I'm quite sure most beverage companies don't get how we <laughs> help them, you know, get healthy, change your sure. life. Cause it ends up that it doesn't matter what your gender is, your color, your skin, your social, you know, your income levels. It, like if you don't actually have your health, then all of those people feel like they're losing, right? right? Like it's, yeah. it's a massive, massive, um, you know, thing. And, and so for me, like that is the purpose from day one of starting this company. I, you know, talk about myself as an accidental entrepreneur because I, you know, came to the world of startups in kind of a different way than many people. I mean, I, I run into people every day who says, oh, I want to be the next vitamin water or I want to be the next <laughs> Red Bull. And, yeah. you know, and for me, it was just always about health. I had seen what water had um, just by changing one little thing in my life, how water had really changed it. But, but you know, it all sounded good. I, I aspired to be a water drinker, but for me, water was just like, I just wouldn't do it. I would tell people I would do it, but I really wouldn't do it because it was just super boring. So I think, you know, just growing this brand with allowing my passion and commitment to, you know, really making a great product was my guide. And, and, you know, and also just the curiosity factor. Like, I think, you know, we just, if we ever felt like we were stagnant in some way, maybe we would get serious about, you know, doing something with somebody. But I felt like we were just, you know, this is a brand that for the last 15 years has grown every single year, even through 2008, 2009. I mean, right. yep. we've been, you know, continuing to grow. It's been, um, you know, I, I had, uh, I, I, this was like my fifth child. I had four children under the age of six um, when I was starting this company. And, you know, now they're, they're older. And I, I also feel like, um, you know, something that no one ever told me early on was that, you know, actually starting a company and, and seeing, having kids that actually see you go through challenges and like right. make a plan and, you know, and like understand like how do you raise capital like why i remember when my 12 year old or my 18 year old son now but when he was 11 or 12 years old he saw cheryl sandberg talking about lean in on yep. television and he said to me mom i just realized that women are not ceos so why are you a ceo and I thought, where is this kid going with this? Like, this is not a good conversation. And I'm like, I, his name's Keenan. I'm like, Keenan, I don't know. Like, what, where, what, like, do we really need to talk about this? And he's like, well, I think you're a great CEO. So I don't understand. Like, why aren't women CEOs? Like, what, what is the, what's the issue? And he was like, like, I always think about this. Like, why can't girls play on the boys tennis team and vice versa. Like, why isn't that just based on your abilities? Why is there like this definition and separation? I mean, this is coming from an 11 or 12 year old. I didn't ask to have this conversation with this kid, but he, but he's like, I just don't understand it. Like I, I like playing tennis with girls and I, and I'm like, well, then you should go change that. And he was like, well, maybe I will. And, you know, and so I think by, doing what I do every single day and head down and, you know, just, I don't know, just doing what I do every day too, that that is something that, you know, will allow me to, or allow my kids to ultimately be, you know, better managers, better, you know, spouses, if that's what they choose. Better right? leaders. Like, better yep. leaders, right? Yep. Like we're, like we've done things a little bit differently in my house, I guess. I don't know. But according to my kids, like they just woke up and figured it out, right? <laughs> and so, so again, I, I think like that's just really, you know, it's important. It's something I'm really proud of, right? Like it's, and again, it's hard. I, when I was speaking at this conference yesterday, I had a, you know, new parent who 
said, you know, gosh, it's so hard to do a company and have little kids. I'm like, I'm not going to lie. Like you're like under five, you're in the zone. And I think this whole, like, you know, this, <laughs> this whole education from home thing, like I, that just throws another twist into oh, it. Of course. Right? right. Like I said, I can't even like, I'm, I really can't imagine. I mean, I have a 15 year old at home doing, you know, high school work virtually and, you know, and it's, it's bad, but at least he manages his own stuff. Right. If right. you're like four, you know, I don't know, like that's, that's just a super lot. Right. But, um, but I think it's, again, just figure out and you figure out what you can do and figure and, and sometimes, you know, I, I believe children will, will see you as a, as a role model based on what they do see you do and take the time to explain without complaining right that and again like i think there were probably days where i probably you know complained hopefully didn't scream too much right (laughs) and along the way you know life can't you know is not always easy and i think i've always felt like just to be as you know authentic and honest about that even to your kids as possible yep very very important and uh and now now they can also say mom's an author too so that means that they can be authors if they want to well another one of my kids told me she said she said mom my new she's at college at school she said mom my new roommate had bought your book and she's pre-ordered your book and and it was like you know and of course my daughter's like horrified right like she was like oh god like oh, no, no. Yeah. she's like re- reading my mom's book you know and and uh, yeah i was cracking up i was like yeah i know right and she was you know she'll figure it out later i did right there, i don't know yes. if you felt the same thing about you have more appreciation for your parents as time goes on but at the end of the day they're still your mom and your dad and things are <laughs> embarrassing and when people come up to her and say say oh my god i love him it's so great and you know i heard your mom speak and she was awesome and they're they're <laughs> like oh no like, not again say i hope she didn't use us as examples or <laughs> anyway Good so stuff. Funny. Well, Tara, thank you so much for taking yeah, the time to join awesome. us today. And, and folks, great. the book is Undaunted, Overcoming Doubt and Doubters. And uh, uh, a lot of thank great so stories much. in there. For, thank uh, you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. And we'll, we'll get the virtual book tour. We'll, we'll talk when you're done with that about how, uh, you know, how that worked and how you had to overcome times. that. Yeah, Again, definitely. Thank you so much. And thanks, by the way, to everyone else in our audience for joining us here on the Next Level Brands podcast. Our podcast brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses, workshops, and webinars for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you'd like to know more about selling in retail, e-commerce, distributors, or how to properly price your product, check out the free webinar archive at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two shelf.com, what you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.